I jotted down I, I, my original plan for today's year and, and maybe going forward was instead of misconceptions because I was running out and I was running on empty. I thought, and instead of just doing random shots, I thought like this. Maybe, and maybe we'll start it today if, I, if we have time. And this is what I think I'm going to do in the future. There are a lot of legitimate minhagim. You see, till now we've been doing sort of stuff that are made up or misunderstood. Then there's a lot of halachas and minhagim of Klal Yisrael that are brought down in Paiskim and brought down in Makaris that people just don't know why. And, and, and not Kabbalistic stuff. You know, api nigla. So I was thinking maybe go through some of the things that, that are halachas that people push it, don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. And, and maybe once you understand it, it has many other halachic ramifications. So, but I was jotting down, I got a couple more. So I'm going to run through some more uh, misconceptions and, and, and misunderstandings and myths and all that stuff. Like I said, we'll go through each one. And if there are questions, uh, you'll let me know. So the first one that just came to mind is actually Nagea right in front of you. So it's, I didn't want to just do, I'll show you. It's not just Nagea like, I don't want to just say, you know, mis- misunderstandings, misconceptions, because, you know, someone told me that it's a misconception that people think that Esther and Mordechai were aunt and uncle. They were cousins. Okay. But that's not Nagea Halach. I'm not going to just go through things that people are just, uh, you know, I'm not going to be that guy who just people are wrong all the time. But this is sort of Nagea Halacha. They were cousins. They were cousins. Ben Doi Doi and Bas Doi Doi, the daughter of your uncle, is your cousin. But not Pashas. But, but let's focus on halacha. So the first one I want to mention is those chumashim. The Gemara tells us, I don't know if it's in the Gehalacha, but it's interesting. The Gemara tells us that the Luchais were two vobs, compared to two vobs. They were rectangles. So in the old chumashim, they were rounded on top. The Aaron, when we took up, and the Aaron, when we took over here, it was a rounded luchos on top. That is not the accepted approach. Uh, they were poiskin. The stipler apparently was very particular because he think he felt that it took it, it came from Christian, uh, maybe Christian uh, understandings and misunderstandings of the you know Moses and the ten ten uh, the the two the two uh, the two tablets. The luchos in the more recent edition of our scroll, they changed it. That is the more accurate. They were rectangles. They were not circular on top. Oh, they switched it. They switched it because al halacha, that is more accurate. I just wanted to mention that. I don't know if it's negei halacha, but it's negei. If, if someone ever is dedicating uh, Sefer Torah or this, and they do luchas, it should be rectangles, not uh, rounded on top. Okay. The next one is, it's not a, miscon- a mis- misconception. It's just a misunderstanding of basic halacha. Okay, I was driving past a restaurant once. It's a, like a famous joke, but it actually happened to me that I saw a pizza shop and it said glad kosher. So I just want to explain very, very simply because a lot of people, a lot of people are 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 just confused as to what what this means. The word glat kosher became in the vernacular of people as super kosher. That's not what glat means. Glat is Yiddish for smooth. What it means is very simple. When it comes to the lungs of larger animals. Um, Obviously, if an animal is a trefa, that means that it's, it's not going to survive. The probably most common trefa amongst uh, bulls and cows and even lambs is punctures in the lung. That's the most common thing that they're looking for. Now, if there's a puncture in the lung, it, you can't eat it. If the lung is, has adhesions, has, um, has small adhesions on top, like scabbed over that connect, and you could actually look. When I was learning the halachas trefas, you could look online. It, it, it looks like um, like skin that's connecting the lungs to the wall, the lining of the wall. Those are called sirchas. Those are adhesions, and they're potentially a problem because they're usually covering over 
a puncture that, that healed. So here's the halacha. There's three categories of kashras. There's kosher, there's glot kosher, and then there's glot beis yosef. Okay. Glot beis yosef means that the beis yosef, svardim, are particular. They can't have any adhesions. No, no lesions. I think lesions. I don't know if it's lesions or adhesions. I think someone will. I'm sure I'll get bombarded by people WhatsApping me and emailing me. The small. I think it's adhesions. Small sirchas. Chabat. The Beis Yosef is makbid to be smooth mamish. The Beis Yosef is the highest standard of kashrus when it comes to trefus. Then you have the opposite, which is the Ramah felt that you could have even larger sirchas as long as they're easily rubbed off and they easily peel away. If, and then underneath it's smooth, that could still be kosher. That's called kosher. It's not glad kosher. That's kosher. That was a lot of the meat in Europe. It was not glad kosher. What it means is they removed easily with their fingers the, the sirchas, and under it was smooth. That's it. Then there's the middle shita, which is what Ashkenazim in America are makbid, which is that we're makbid on glad kosher. What does that mean? It means if it's a large adhesion, a large sircha, we will not eat it. But if it's a tiny stringy adhe- adhesion, it's tiny stringy sircha, eh, that, that will be mekel. So when people say glot kosher, it's just a misunderstanding of what people... Glot kosher doesn't mean it's really kosher. Glot kosher means that there are no adhesions, there's no sirchas on the lungs. So if you have a milk restaurant that says it's glot kosher, you, probably stay, should, you, probably should, you should probably stay away because they have no idea what they're talking about. Now for the record, in America... I spoke to Rabbi Bergman about this once. I think uh, Rabbi David Feinstein said the same thing. I saw it in a sefer recently. If you go to Seasons and they have Beis Yosef meat, that you could eat. That's better than us. That's, that's, that's the super makbe that's incredibly smooth. And Eretz Yisrael, and in other places around the world, not necessarily so, because Beis Yosef just became, in addition to the stringency regarding the smoothness of the lung, there are other leniencies that Svardim do have, that maybe like if you go to like, if you go to like a restaurant in Yerushalayim and it says, you know, uh, Beis Yosef, something Beis Yosef, I'm not necessarily saying you could eat there, because there are other colloquialisms that they're covering up under Beis Yosef, but technically, when you have meat that's glot Beis Yosef, it is more strict than Ashkenazim, yeah? Sure. So from my understanding, it means that it's checked, obviously, and it falls under the category of BCS. Yeah. Number two, from what you're saying, it's because there's such a high standard, the supply and demand, the supply should be that much less. I guess so. I would assume at, so. If you look at the prices, it's very similar prices. No, but maybe they're paying their workers less. Something, something. Well, I, 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 I'm not, I'm not getting involved in conspiracy. I don't know. All I can tell you is what the Shulchan Aruch tells you. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a different. I don't know. That was not Avi Zakatinsky talking. I'm not getting involved. I have no idea. Oh, so that's that's the second point that I wanted to make. The third one. Uh, in this list of today of the misconceptions, uh, this is people misunderstand. They, they think that filet mignon is not kosher. Now, that's not true. I've heard this before. Filet mignon. Jews don't eat filet mignon. Now that, that's true. We practically don't eat it, but it's not not kosher. What it is is the the back hind side of the meat. There's certain fats you're not allowed to eat. They're called chaylev. Now to remove chaylev, you have to. It's called trevering. You have to remove the chaylev. Most of the chaylev that's difficult to remove is in the hind side of the hind side of the animal. It's by the by the, the rump area. 
you could technically remove all the fats, remove the giranasha, remove the meat that touches the fats, but it's expensive, it's time-consuming, and you have to really know what you're doing. You have to be sort of an expert. So what it has sort of evolved over time is we just don't, we just cut off the entire rump and we just sell it to Goyim. That's what we do. The filet mignon happens to be in that area. So practically, will you ever eat a filet mignon in your life? Probably not. But is it technically kosher? If it's prepared properly, if you have, if a virtual shechter or, uh, you know, any rov that you respect who knows what he's doing and he removes the fat and he, and he tells you that, okay, it's kosher, then there's nothing wrong with it. I just want to make that clear. People think a filet mignon is not kosher. It's not not kosher. It's just part of the animal that we practically don't, we don't do nicker and we don't do tribering. We just push it. It's not worth, it's too time consuming, too expensive, and it's too difficult to do on a practical basis. There are restaurants that the, oh, that I, there are restaurants in Eretz Yisrael under legit hechsherim that sell filet mignon. Okay, that's fine. It's not a problem. I just wanted to clarify that point because that's also, that's a, a, again, another uh, misunderstanding. Um, okay, the next halach, I'm just going to run through the best that I can. And once we're done this, if we have extra time, then I'll start the second concept of what I wanted to talk about tonight. The next halacha, this is more, <laughs> this is a chumrah of the Ben Ishchai. It's just good to know. The Ben Ishchai holds that um, there's a halacha that we know that you hold the lulav has the three minim and the esrik has is one min. And they're obviously the Shulchan Aruch says it's supposed to be held in two different hands. That's not why I brought this. I brought it because I'm fidgety. And it's supposed to be in two different hands. But the halacha is that it's supposed to be held together. There's a very famous maisa from the Rikanti. The Rikanti was one of the Rishonim. He was a Mekubal, a very big Mekubal. And he said that he was once, the night of Sukkot, he had a dream that one of the people in his shul was surrounded by the name Yudke Vavke, but the letters were separated. It was Yudke Vav and K. And he, he was trying to figure out what it was. And he saw the next day, the guy was Shekel of his hands were apart. So he said, you have to put them together, Yud Kei together. But the Ben Ishchai writes that Alpi Kabbalah and even Alpi Halacha, they're meant to be in two different hands. So a lot of times what happens is when you're, when you're going around for the Hashanahs or you're holding the sitter, you'll hold the sitter in one hand and you'll hold the Lul Vanesrik in one hand. Pashas, that's not so appropriate according to Halacha. It's better for it to be two different hands held together. It's just a, a, a misconception. So what I do is, well, that's why people have, uh, they have these things, they clip. What I do is I, I, I rest the sitter on my arms and I, I hold it like this. But, I don't know, listen, that's, you gotta fix, that's, that's your problem. <laughs> that's a you problem. But you got to figure out how to hold the sitter. But api halacha, it is preferred uh, to do it that way. Okay, the next halacha is a misunderstanding that even the boys talked about today. This is one of the most common ones I've heard. You give someone hagba, and he's not the biggest guy in the world, right? Everyone gets nervous, and they say, oh, I don't want to fast for 40 days. There's almost no makar for fasting for 40 days when a sefer falls. I'd say there's almost no makar, because there's basically no makar. There's no makar in the Gemara or in the Rishonim for fasting when a sefer falls, Bechlal, even one day. It's from the Mari Bruna, which was a very, very, very late Rishon, early Achron. And the Magad of Ram brings it down that when a Sefer falls, you should fast one day. Ramosha Feinstein has a very lengthy tshuva where he goes through this. He says, for the one dropping it, the one dropped it, probably should fast one day. Everyone around, maybe it's a minig, it's not a chiv. The chiv is for the only one that dropped it. There's 
kimat no reference for forty days bichlal. Who fast for forty days? No one's going to survive. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they're going to. When I, I, I lose my job if I get people to fast for it. It's not going to happen. The makar for fasting forty days is there were some tanoyim and amiroyim that if something bad happens, then they will fast for forty days. There's no makar. The only makar for fasting for forty days referenced by a sefer Torah is Rav Shail, Rav Yisrael Natan He was the Chuba Shailu Meshiv. He brings down that the minig is. He says he saw a makar that you should fast for forty days. It's not brought down by anybody else. Definitely no halachic requirement. It's not going to happen. It's just something people say. Maybe it's covered sefer Torah. There's no makar for. There's no Indian of, of of fasting for forty days when a sefer Torah falls. It's not part of. If even one day, it's not a chiyuv for the whole kahila. and that's why I, I know of cases where the sefer Torah fell, and they taka the rav didn't require them to fast. He made them. He made them give. Oh, it happened. Years ago, and and he said we didn't have to fast because. It, uh, the, only the Yitzchayim hit the ground, not the parchment. But I don't know how the parchment would ever hit the ground. But. Also, I know also Rosh Hashanah Zalman held that if one half falls off the uh, uh, Bima, but one half is still on, he holds you don't have to fast. But, uh, so what, they also, they fasted, no? They said, give tzedakah and tainas diva, that type of thing? He just said, if you're going to fast Bahab anyway? Yeah. Or, okay. or whole day, or stuff, okay. You should know that the the, 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 the the fasting. The reason why, especially nowadays, we don't really fast, is because it's become just bechlal in general. It used to be that it was part of the lexicon of tshuva. Part of the process of tshuva was sigufim. Was you'd fast. That was part of the. You did not vary. You'd fast a certain amount of days. You'd fast a certain amount of days. We don't do that anymore. The Baltania already said we stopped doing this. Going back to three hundred years, but the Rebbe used to write in letters whenever people would say they wanted to fast. He was like, it's not productive. It, it, it's not productive anymore because most people when they're fasting they can't learn they can't dive and they get a headache they just go to bed so as I told you guys someone told me someone told me that uh, that his his tightest seva is Law and Order Marathon that, that's his because he has he has a headache he goes to watch Law and Order the movie's uh, the, the fast is over that, that's obviously I, I understand you have a chiv to fast whatever I'm not going to say that that's what you should be doing but that's not what you should be doing as a kapara. So so the, the, the Rebbe used to tell people that when they would say fast he would say do a tightest debar which is to not talk about anything that's uh, bittel, and he said it's it, it does more in Shemaim and it's much harder to accomplish, as he would say. So again, but the, the fasting forty days is definitely not uh, is definitely not a thing. Yeah, yeah. There's also a lot of permutations and details, and you have to be present. Your kahila. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my point is, even a chas it falls in a way that everyone would require you. The forty days is not a thing. The next one I might have mentioned in the past, I don't remember, this is my fourth one doing about misconception, I push don't remember. I've heard this many times, I'll just repeat it, that people say that if you're uh, in a car, whatever, or if you, you could just eat a sandwich, as long as you wrap the sandwich in silver foil, you don't have to wash. I've heard this many times. Okay, it's not true. What it is, is the Shulchan Aruch says that if there's no water within an 18-minute travel, then you could wrap the bread in, 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 in foil, uh, or wrap your hands, according to some opinions, it's wrap your hands in, in like a gloves, so that you're not touching the bread directly. According to Tzitzliyaz, you have to do both. Pashas, you just wrap the sandwich, that's all. And then you, you don't have to wash. So that's true if you don't have water within an 18-minute drive. But, I mean, under most circumstances, I guess, I guess if you're stuck in traffic, and you're stuck in like no moving, and, 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 and even an 18-minute walk, you won't get to water, okay, Conceptually, that, that I guess it could be, but but under 
the regular circumstances, it's it's not uh, it's not going to be a, a thing. Um, okay, moving right along. This one is more for you and for me, a shtickle, because we're I'm I'm a shtickle chabad. I'm, I'm not going to go into your life, but this is a misunderstanding that people have about chabadniks, and that is, I hear this a lot. Let me explain. I'm not going to explain the reason why the Rebbe did it, but I'm going to explain what he didn't do it for. Okay, it's brought down a shulchan aruch. There is a requirement to eat shalshadis. Okay, there's a requirement to eat shalshadis. In Shulchan Aruch, it describes the levels. This is in the Balatanya Shulchan Aruch as well. Lechachila, you eat bread. If not bread, then mezainus. If not mezainus, then proteins. If not proteins, then fruit. Fine. Okay, shine. Levels, levels, levels. In no option is there to learn Torah. That's not an option. But, and I'm saying this as, I'm sort of to defend where it comes from, the, 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 I, I, was, I was in Eretz Yisrael a couple of years ago during January, and we went to a Chabad Yeshiva for Mincha. And I wanted to stay for, you know, in between Mincha I wasn't going to walk back. I was I'll sit and learn. And it was interesting because it was like, Shalashad is minus the food. Everyone sat down. They all sat together. They started singing. They sang Zmiris. The, the Rav there said a, said a Mimer. He said a Sicha. And it was Mamish Shalashad is downstairs, just without the challah, without the dips. That, that, that's what it was and it was a very strange thing where did it come from because the Rebbe used to give over Fabrengans during Shal Shudas. so a couple of things happened developed because of this first of all it developed that people think that you don't really have to eat Shal Shudas. that's not true you'll say oh the Balatanya says Torah can replace shal, uh, food that's not true either so Erev Pesach no one ever gives an option to learn so the third thing you'll say, so some people will say the Rebbe ate before he gave the Sicha. I don't know if that's true either. I'll be honest, he spoke for six hours. It's straight. It's, be, so the real reason is, and this is not something that I'm not going to get into the understanding this, I'll be panemius. this is more Yossi Zinian, but the Rebbe in a Sicha, the Rebbe in Igris, in Igris HaKodesh, was once asked about it. So the Rebbe talked about how Alpi Kabbalah, the Indian of Shabbos is getting to Lasid Lavoy, and there were certain tzaddikim that were able to get to that point of Oilam Haba, Ein Boy Loy Achila, Veloy Shtia, Veloy Sicha, Vlidvar Betalim, Eloy Yoshvim, Vitrisayim Breshem, and Enem Zivashchin, right? The Gemara says that Oilam Haba, there's not going to be food. So they got to that Madrega. There's certain great tzaddikim that got to that point where eating took them away. Again, whatever that means, it's a pinus, and, and the Rebbe talks about how, how that's a Kabbalah, and halacha doesn't necessarily see eye to eye with that, and how to sort of make those things drive together. But that's where it was coming from. Whether, I, I don't know what the Hanhaga for the rest of Chabad should be, what it is, I, it's not my Indian, I, I don't know, I don't, it's not my, not my, not my, I just want to explain where that's coming from. The reason why it's not that he holds that Torah can replace it, and it's not that he's mezalzal in Shalashudas. That like people will make a joke that if you don't, if you're not hungry, you're like oh chabad for Shalashudas. Like uh, you guys, you don't know this, but in, in like in Litvish place, that's how they talk. A chabad for Shalashudas. That's that's a bizarre and that's obviously not appropriate. It's not that they're being mavaza in Shalashudas. They're ever felt Shalashudas in ways that no one else can feel Shalashudas, and maybe that's the point. But I just wanted to clarify that point again. 
what's the just the just it doesn't need a justification. Is a tzaddik said island, but that's what to my understanding of what it is. So you're saying this, this idea started only with the rabbis? No, it most likely started with the earlier nesiyeh chabad. I would I would guess. I have to check. The Rebbe talks about it, and I have to check. I can't imagine it started with the Rebbe. I assume it at least started with the Friedrich Rebbe that he gave Fabregans during Shalshadis. Mm-hmm. That was when they did it. Now, maybe in the times 200 years ago where the Hasidim eating, maybe, they didn't buy the Rebbe towards the end also because there was just no food. It was like, it was a, you know, it wasn't like it was a smaller thing. But again, I don't know what the ideal situation is. I know for the Nesiyei Chabad, they didn't. Usually, the way it works is when Nasir Chabad do something, the rest of Chabad follows. They follow the Rebbe. I understand that, but but that's that's that uh, that's that uh, that concept. The last one that I wanted to talk about today, and if we have time, I'll, I'll talk about something else. The last one I wanted to talk about was standing up for the Chazan and Kal. So it's a funny thing. Chazan Kal walks in. Everybody stands up. Now. When I was in yeshiva, you'll go through different evolutions of life. Well, before I went to yeshiva, you stand up, because everybody stands up, you stand up. Then you go to yeshiva, and you know better than everybody. And then you start saying, they stand up for the kala because they want to see the kala's dress. <laughs> so not only, not only is it not based on halacha, it's based on like, you know, it's based on just being like that guy who just wants to take pictures. And then, and then, and then you don't stand up. And then I went through this stage in my life where I didn't stand up because I know better. Um, now I stand up because I, there's no reason to be that guy. Why? Why? Everyone else is saying I can stand up. It's not. A, it's not a big tirchah for me. I, if I forget, I forget. But if everyone else is standing up, it's their day. I came here to Mesamechas and Mikala. I don't have to be the one guy sitting. But where does it come from? Where it comes from is like this. There's a, a Gemara. Gemara in Kedushin tells us that when they would, when the, when the farmer would bring the bikurim to the base Hamikdash everyone would stand up for him as he was walking past. That's the Gemara says. And the Gemara says, over here, you stand up, mitzvah, that before someone's about to do a mitzvah, you should stand up before him. This is, by the way, the reason why you stand up when a nifter is brought into the room. Right? If you've ever been to a levaya, you're sitting there waiting, milling around, and then they, 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 they push the aron in, everybody stands up. The Taz says, the reason why you're standing up, so why you stand up? So you say, you stand up for the, for the mace. The mace is dead. Covered for the mace, why do you have to stand up for him? So it says the Taz, you're standing up for the people wheeling the mace in because they're doing the mitzvah of covered a mace. You're standing up before I say mitzvah. So the Taz says. So because of this, there are certain mitzvahs that we st- you stand up before those that do a mitzvah. I'll tell you something fascinating. I mentioned before you guys came in that, that when I finish the myths and misconceptions, what I see for the little bit, foreseeable future, Instead of just going back to random shilas that I got, which I'm, I'm comfortable, I have no problem doing, I was going to take halachas that are brought down in Shulchan Aruch, things that are not misconceptions, not myths, things that are actually legit, and just to explain why we do it that no one really knows about. So I'll do the first one right now. It's printed in the Siddurim, Yishon Zalman was not a well person. He was, not, he was frail. And it was known that there are parts of the Siddurim that we just stand up. Right? Now we don't really know why, it just says stand. So you stand it was known that if you wanted to know what you have to stand up for, you watch Rishlam Zalman. That's what, again, this is what I've seen in Svarim, because he would stand when you had to. So then that's what you got to do. You got to go to the, you gotta go to the shir. I don't know. So you have Baruch Sha'amar Nishtabach. You have to stand up for, okay? There are brachas, certain types of brachas require standing. Fine. If you look in the Siddur, 
it's brought down to stand up by Vayivarech David. Vayivarech David to stand up. So the question is why? And it's very hard to understand why. You look in different svarim, some svarim theorize A. I'll tell you what Rav Yaakov Kamenesky says. Rav Yaakov in Ashir, Rav Yaakov in Ashir in Tarvadah said the following theory, which I think is, uh, I think it's spot on. If you look in that same paragraph of Ayivarach David, it says, Ayishev HaKovid Milfanecha Vata Maishel Bakal. By Ayishev HaKovid Milfanecha, it says the Arizal, it says you should give tzedakah now. This is the point to give tzedakah. And that's when a lot of people go to the pushka. The Arizal with Dafka separates tzedakah in the paragraph of Vayivarach David. So said Rav Yaakov, historically, Vayivarach David is when people in the shul are walking up to give tzedakah. You stand up before those that are doing a mitzvah, as he says. You stand up before the... Uh, before I say mitzvah, so Yaakov Kamenowski times. So based on this... Nobody's giving tzedakah, you don't stand up. Conceptually, but then, you know, if the Malam Tzchus, you don't want to Malam Tzchus, you know, Malam Tzchus on the shul, you don't want to make it seem like the shul's not giving tzedakah. But that was, that was how the minig evolved. And at home, though. And that's how, you know, that's how the minhagim evolved. But that, that's where Yaakov Tainus. So, so they asked of Ravelsky, what's the Indian of standing up before the chassan and kala? The answer is very simple. The chassan is on his way to do a mitzvah. The mitzvah of Kedushin. The kala, it's a little bit more tricky. Um, the kala, it's, it's not poshed whether the wife is mechuyiv in getting married. Pashtus, she's facilitating the husband's obligation. But Rebelski said, he writes this in his truva in Shulchan Levi, he says, al tefalpel, don't be such a lamdin to not stand up for the kala. He says, she is definitely publicly about to do a public mitzvah, facilitate a public mitzvah, involved in a public mitzvah, whatever it is. She's involved in a public mitzvah, therefore you stand up for the chassan and kala. So he says, so he says practically halacha, practically halacha, I think he brings down Rav Moshe and Rav Yaakov, one stood, one didn't. But he says, the minig of Kalal Yisrael is to stand. The reason is because you stand before those that do a mitzvah. And he said, whether you have to stand for the Kalal or not, he says, once everybody is doing something, you should not be perish from the Sivar, especially for this. So it's not a mis- misunderstanding to stand, but I want to explain where it's coming from. Pashas, you're standing before those that do a mitzvah. Now, if that were the case, it makes more sense to stand up when they walk past you, most likely, as opposed to stand up when they enter the room. I'll still be that guy, and maybe when they stand up to enter the room, a lot of people are looking to see who's walking down the aisle. But that, that you know, it's like you stand up for like a, even, even the elderly, right? There's a mitzvah to stand up for those that are over 70. That's l'kuliyal molecholadeis when they get to your daladamas. If they're outside of your daladamas, you don't stand up when they enter the room. You stand up when a Nasi of Klal Yisrael walks into the room, you stand up. When a big tzaddik stand, walks into the room, you stand up. And a, a random old, uh, old, uh, old man and old woman who's over 70, you don't have to stand up when they're, when they're across the room. So why does everybody stand up? I don't know. At weddings, everybody's just getting up. So whatever. That, that, that I normally wait till they get close to me because I want them to kind of the mitzvah. And the mitzvah pashas has to be right, right when they're about to enter your daladamas. But that's the Indian of standing up before a chasen and kal. Yeah? What do you mean? How do you fulfill it? No. There are, there are people that say that you shouldn't be, uh, like, you, if, if you have a state, let's say, and you're learning, uh, and you're learning Torah or something like that, that you shouldn't go ahead and uh, leave, uh, leave and go I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. Well, I mean, yeah. It, it prob- <laughs> what? You're going to get a lot of trouble. 
No, I'm going to get a lot of trouble because if I'm going to... They have the prerogative. Yeah. I could tell you, I, I, I could probably say comfortably without getting a lot of trouble that everyone here and everyone listening here, none of us are Isaac in Talmud Torah to that extent. I'm not, I'm not yeah, man, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but also, yeah, I understand that. Also, yeah, listen, stopping Talmud Torah is a big responsibility. And, and yeah, it's probably not a good thing. I don't know. They, they should leave that up to the Rosh Hashivas. I can just tell you, if a practical person, I, I don't know. That's a shayla. That's above, uh, way above my pay grade. And I've, I'm, I'm doing my best to not upset other people. So I'm definitely not going to say, the Rosh Hashivas should decide when the Bachim should go, when they want to go. It's their rules. They can do whatever they want. Um, yeah, I can tell you. Um, okay, so, yeah? So if someone's on the Kesh Shabbat, yeah. someone's on the Shem Esrei, you're already done, you're already finished Shem Esrei, you're, it's, I don't know, maybe... Maybe you're maybe the rabbi is speaking. Maybe you're, yeah. And the guy's davening. You should stand up because he's right next to you. And he's in the midst of davening. No, so no, you don't have to. No, no. So that's the thing. Also, it's not so posh. So Ramosha Feinstein did not stand up before the chassan and kala, right? By a wedding. Okay. That was what Belsky says. So why not? I thought you stand up because if you look in that Gemara, not every mitzvah falls into the category that's comparable to Bikurim. So the truth is, to extend it to chassan and is not such a slam dunk. Because you're right, we don't just stand up every time someone's about to do a mitzvah. You know, you hopping up and down. We don't do that. The, the truth is, uh, according to the marsha over there, you only stood up for bikurim. First of all, because it was such a public mitzvah. You know, there was it, the terror sort of one in pomp and circumstance. That also, it's in order to incentivize the farmers for coming back in the future. They needed that covet. That would not extend to other things. That, that's why it is a bit of a chiddush to extend it, but, and it's not extended by all the time. That's why I told you the examples of where it's get, got, given, it's not something that we just necessarily apply to every single mitzvah. You know, he's about to you know, drive to Tom Cheshav, so you have to stand up. No, it's a mitzvah, but I, you're right. I, it, it's not something that's to send all the time. That's where it potentially comes from the Chassam Regal. And the truth is, if the Minig Oilam was not to do it, I don't know if we would have started it, but the Minig is to do it, so... But you're right, it's not extended to every mitzvah. That, that's the truth. Tzedakah, Bikurim, and, and, a, and a, a Leviah. Those are the only three that I've seen. Like, standing, standing up before those that do a mitzvah. Oh, so, so then that would not explain why we still stand by Az Yasher. Right. You're right. It, it, you're right. It could be then it will be sitting by Az Yasha, Maybe it's like a bazillion for Az Yasha because he's standing up for Yishtabach. He's standing up for Varech David, and there's a sit for Az Yasher, or Az Yasher maybe Kriyas Yam. The truth is, it doesn't explain it. That's why it doesn't. You know, a lot of these Taimim, they, they're not perfect because they don't analyze every aspect, but they at least give some bit of flavor. You're right. It wouldn't explain Az Yasher. Huh? True. But there are those that were makele to sit, right. so it's brought down in Ramah that there are those that are makele to sit, so that's not the end of the world. That you have something, I'm saying you have some some limitzchus for those that sit during Chazar Tashat. But, uh, yeah? So, so you're in shul, and if, and if an elderly man comes and sits within your dollar hours, you have to stand up? Okay, there's a side shiloh, which I didn't get into, which is standing up for a zakin during davening. 
It's a shayla, Yaakov Hillel has a lengthy tshuva where he discusses it and he says it depends on what point in davening you're up to. The reason is because when you're in the middle of davening, although we do stand up for those that give tzedakah and that's not for now, but standing up for an old man is showing covered to a human when you're talking to Hashem. So it depends on what point in davening. If you're in the middle of shema, no. If let's say you're just milling around, uh, you know, may- maybe opening up the sitter to get to Karbanas, yeah, you would stand up when an older person, yeah, conceptually, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I'll tell you like this. Maybe we'll start. I'll just do two. What I wanted to, I, I said, just to say certain halachas and, and maybe what are the reasons for it. Um, I'll, I'll mention, uh, I'll mention, I have four very quickly. It won't take long. Um, I was, I, I mentioned this once that someone asked me, a kid came over me in davening once and it was such an innocent question and I had no answer and I, kept, I felt very, very dumb for not knowing something so obvious. And he says, why are there black stripes on the talus? So I said, that's a phenomenal question. I, I, I don't know. So I checked it up. There's a, a theory from the Sefer Shah, he brings down, Tamim Hagam also brings it down, that, uh, that we don't have Tcheles anymore. Tcheles is blue. According to the Rambam, Tcheles is closer to a purple or a dark purple. Like The Rambam more describes it as the sea at night. Over time, theoretically, potentially, it, it 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 became more black, and so black is potentially a zeicha for tchelas. Maybe that's why young Israels do blue. It's a it's a, it's a zeicha they they feel that that's the more authentic one. I'm not sure, but that's that's a theoretical answer. Again, I, I don't know if it's accurate because it's not uh, you know it's brought down in svarim as a possibility. The the second one to mention this also I mentioned once. I, I believe this is true. Um, the the why do why do by Sfardim don't do this by Ashkenazim by Tachanon women may, may have ever seen this they fall on their arms you fall on your arms not your skin or your sleeve you fall on your arms so what's a what's a pshat that's a very strange thing so the reason that I once saw I went through the two of them very quickly the reason why I once saw was according to the the Gemara really when the Gemara references Tachanon. They didn't just slump over. That was Abai and Rava did that. But originally, it was like we do on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which is fully prostrating itself on the floor. The halacha is that when you have a stone floor, you have to put something down between your face and the floor. Not knees. I know I, someone once emailed me that they, I, I once mentioned this, and, and he's like, uh, chutzpah, and he sent me a primagodim. I checked the primagodim. I didn't see what he was talking about. It's brought down in Paiskim to separate between your face and the floor. That's, what, that's the ichor. The knees... Oh, that misconception. Potentially, that's a good one. The knees and the floor is most likely, most likely because people's knees were getting dirty. I want, I'll be that guy. I, I don't think it's not brought down in Paiskim. Most likely, it's that the Iker Hakpada is between the face of Oh, that's a good one. The Iker Hakpada is the face and the floor. So therefore, while nowadays we don't fall on the floor, we sit. As a Zecher, for the way it used to be, we hunch over and we put something separating our heads. And the table potentially is to the way it used to be separating between maybe to like maramis to be ma'or rachamim like uh, like you used to do it and that's why you don't if you if you're not wearing sleeves you have to like pull your sleeve down because on the floor separating with your your arm won't be good because that your body can't be mafsik it's not a hefsik your body is your body it's not a, it's not a hefsik it's like trying to take your own temperature it doesn't really work well, if you're wearing a short sleeve shirt during the summer so you should and, sh- and let's, and let's uh, I guess I, I don't know. You hover above. You, I don't know. Grab a tissue. Is your watch good enough? Uh, maybe yeah, grab a tissue. I don't know. Better just not, not doing it like 
Like no, no, no. You should do. You should do it the way that everyone uh, everyone's doing it. But you should maybe take a tissue. I don't know. Put it. No, wear longer sleeves. I don't know. That's. Uh, do you I, I don't know. When you do it, can you stand when you do it? No, you're not supposed to stand. You're supposed to sit. If you're gonna stand and there's no chairs, then you should lean on a shender with such force that if they were to pull the shender away, you would fall. That's that's considered sitting in halacha according to it's bidiavit. But really, you should sit. A lot of times, you'll have people that just they'll just do this. You should sit. It, it, it should be done sitting. It's not should be done sitting. Two more. Um, okay, uh, this is just interesting. I I I, I uh, don't do this either. Uh, a badekin. What's a badekin about? So it's confusing. A lot of people don't understand what the purpose of the badekin is. The badekin is before the chuppah, the men escort the chassan to the kala. He goes and then he covers her with a veil. He says a bracha, the bracha I think of Rivka, Atai Alpha the Rivavai. Okay, and then the father gives a bracha, the siblings go, okay, that, that's all. That's okay, and a nice thing. The Iker Indian of a Badekin is very simple. The, we know that there's a concept, there's Kedushin, which is the ring, Harem Kedushesli, and then there's Nesuin. Nesuin is the, the completion of the, of the marriage. What is Nesuin? If you look in the Rishayim, there's I think seven opinions. We try to do as many as we can at the wedding. One of them is the chuppah, a canopy, entering a home together. The second is a yichud room, which Svardin do not do. We go to a yichud room. The yichud room is according to some opinions. That's why there's edim of the yichud room, because it might be the nesuin. According to others, it's when they go home together. They go to their apartment. There's no edim. That's why Svardin hold, you don't need edim by the yichud room either. Potentially, it's not such a hakbada. One opinion says, I, I forgot to check it up, it might, be, it might be the Mordechai. I believe it's the Mordechai. The Mordechai says, one, his definition of chuppah is an act of a husband and wife, which is clothing your wife. So, you can mean giving her clothing, or covering her with a veil. The badekin is the nesuin, according to some opinions. How do you do that before the... Oh, so that means the Bach, so the Bach already says... Uh, 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 yeah, so they don't have it here, but the, the, the original, according to some opinions, it's Look at those words. first. So there are some opinions, right? It should be Kedushin You go to the Kedushin and then the Chupa. Chupa Vikidushin, that Nesuin before. But it, the, the Mepharshim do point that out. By the way, that's why there was a Chumrah in Eretz Yisrael, there's some Machmer, that they'll have Eidim by the Badekin. It's a super, super big Chumrah. But that's, again, potentially, but that's the Indian of a Badekin. And the last one, I'll end with this, is, looking at it right now, Slanted Mezuzas. Why do we do Slanted Mezuzas? So it's Machlekes, Rashi, and Rabbeinu Tam. It's Machlekes in a couple areas. It's Machlekes, to my knowledge, in three areas. Should things be standing or lying down. Some opinions say that the mezuzah is standing. It's Rashi. Rabbeinu Tam, to my knowledge, is lying down. It should be horizontal. Because the horizon. Horizontal. A vertical horizontal. Sefetaira in the Aaron. Standing or lying down. You know, Ashkenazim, we lay it lying down. them are standing up. But in the Aaron, in the we do standing up. We've passed like Rashi. In the in the tefillin are the are the are the parshias like this or like that, Rabbeinu Tam. That's the famous joke that everyone like the, that they make in yeshiva that Rabbeinu Tam himself wouldn't wear Rabbeinu Tam tefillin because it's the right order of parshias, but it's not the his shittas that should be lying down. So when it comes to the mezuzahs, so again Rashi says vertical, 
Ben Tam says horizontal. So Svardim and the Gra, they paskin straight up vertical. That's why if you look at Svardi Shul, Svardi houses, the mezuzahs are, are straight up. Gronix also. How do we paskin? We want to be machria. We want to we want to have peace. So what we do is slanted. Slanted, it's 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 not standing, it's not horizontal, it's not vertical. It's close, it's close to it's close to vertical, so it's, it's really big we pass the grashi. But that's why we pass in Mahalacha that if you have a doorway that's not wide enough for it to be, then it goes straight. Because Baker Adin, we pass in like uh, like the Svaradim, Baker Adin, we pass in that it could be vertical. So that's what I'll probably do next time, just go through uh, this different Hagim, what they are. Again, if there are any questions or comments, please send them my way.